Hello, everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast that fully supports the interspecies relationship between a beetle and a monkey. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus. And I'm Michael. And today, we are talking about the stop-motion animated film Kubo and the Two Strings. Produced by Leica Studios and directed by Travis Knight, the film was released in August 2016 and follows the titular Kubo, a young boy with only one eye. Living in feudal Japan, Kubo makes a living for himself and his mother by putting on street performances and telling stories with magical origami figures. However, Kubo learns that the story his mother has told him are more real than he thought, as soon his evil aunts and grandfather, the Moon King, return to claim his other eye. Accompanied by a wooden snow monkey brought to life and a beetle warrior, Kubo sets out on a quest to find three ancient artifacts to help him defeat the Moon King and bring peace back to his village. The film received critical acclaim, having 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, despite a poor box office, grossing only $77 million on a $60 million budget. Critics praised the film for its animation and mature story, but the film was criticized for its whitewashing of its cast in a story set in feudal Japan. And, as always, there will be spoilers. Uh, so, I watched this movie in the movie theaters. I remember being a little bit hyped up by the trailers that were being shown on whatever uh, TV service I was watching. Maybe it was Nickelodeon, maybe it was Cartoon Network, but I remember hearing about it, and I remember seeing the trailers and being excited for this movie. Uh, I'm like, yes, okay, it's going to be an action-packed story set in Japan. There's going to be some awesome claymation fights or stop-motion fights. And I went into this movie expecting uh, expecting something good. Uh, I was a little disappointed by it when I left it uh, as a kid. And I think it was mainly because of how the story didn't really make too much sense to me when I first watched it. Um, I think we're going to be talking a little bit about the pacing of this movie. Uh, the pacing of the movie kind of... It, it feels almost like the story is on railroads, for a lack of a better term. Things kind of just happen uh, that are there for plot relevance and for the sole purpose of moving the story along. And I think I realized that as a kid, and I noticed that, okay, these these things are... There's no real characterful reason why these things are happening. Uh, and coming back to it as an adult watching this movie, I think my gripes about the pacing still stay the same. Uh, but I do appreciate a lot more things about this movie. It's... Art and animation, of course, we are going to be talking a lot about. It's beautifully, uh, there's some beautiful cinemagra- uh, cinematography, that's the word, uh, in this movie. Just the way some shots are laid out, how the characters are framed in a shot. It's really a, a feast for the eyes. And I really do appreciate the uh, more mature story that's being told in the animation medium for this film. 
And I really do like the themes of this movie. It's very much a non sort of Disney-fied film, if that makes any sense. There's not really a happy, a, a stereotypical happy ending for this movie. I mean, at the end of the movie, uh, both Kubo's parents, spoilers again, are dead. They're not coming back. There's no one last, like, pulling uh, the loved one back from the abyss or the grave, like in Hercules, for example. Uh, and so I really do appreciate the way this film treats uh, death and the way that it uh, lets people live on through the theming of this film, and that is, of course, the stories we tell. Uh, so all in all, this film, it's a decent film. Uh, there's some good, there's some bad, but as a whole, I think I like it more than I did when I was a kid. Uh, but what about the rest of y'all? What were your experiences with this film uh, and uh, your impressions on it? Uh, quick aside, I just want to keep... I just, Alex, you keep saying, oh, I want, when I watched this as a kid. You were in college when this came out. Yeah, yeah. I know. You're, <laughs> you're like 16. Like, you, you kept being like, you know, I may, I may have been watching like Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network. And not that we didn't watch those <laughs> channels, but I am certain that none of us were living in a place with like regular cable TV access in 2016. Hey, hey <laughs> as, as someone who looks at college kids now and say like, oh man, those kids, I think my, uh, <laughs> my take is valid. That's fair. Right. fair. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I echo most of the same thoughts. Um, I was researching a little bit about the production of this film. And for all intents and purposes, the actual, like, filming and cinematography that you're talking about is, like, phenomenal. It's top-notch. Like, I, I want to say almost at this point in the in sort of the CGI age that we are in, um, stop motion is almost like a lost art form to a certain extent. Mm. And so it's so cool to see something this big um, take on a challenge like this. Uh, I was looking at a lot of the um, production behind the scenes on this film, and it's, like, fantastic. Uh, obviously, I have a favorite moment that I'm going to note uh, later on that exemplifies what I think is really, really cool about this animation style. Um, because the animation itself is absolutely phenomenal. It's, like, it's something that we just don't see a lot. Um, that being said... I do agree somewhat that I think that this movie lost me at a certain point in its story um, and kind of its characters. I think that the characters in general aren't very deep. They are mostly surface level and a lot of them are there for like charm. Like when like to me, I okay, I'll, we're, we're getting into the spoilers, right? So this, the first spoiler is that the monkey is like, it's like it's not necessarily his mom but it's like an it's like a it's a av like an avatar she's like put her yeah. energy into the thing giving it life and therefore it kind of is his mom um and then we have beetle man um i think literally just call him beetle which is his dad who has been like cursed i think at some point um and like it's charming to see that like they get to begin to remember that they were human not not the monkey but the beetle, I guess. <laughs> and they're like, they have this sort of rekindling uh, friendship slash attraction to each other. And so it's kind of like, ha, ah, yeah, that's a, it's cute. It's cute. It's cute. Um, and then they die. But <laughs> I'm going to ignore that <laughs> for a second. It felt very much like these characters were in here for like, it 
like they were going on a grand adventure. So let's have some party members and they're going to go on this defeat the big bad kind of deal. And to me, a lot of the deeper moments of this film, uh, a lot of the a, a lot of the rest of the film kind of detract from, I think it's sort of it's kind of this message that it's going for about the power of stories and memories and how like there's this sort of connection that they make between um, the ending of a story being what makes it satisfying and therefore connecting that with mortality and therefore connecting that with the fact that he doesn't need to be immortal because he wants to have an ending. So there's a lot of this like esoteric stuff that's going on that they basically were like, they like, they, they, they put a dot on the map of what they were talking about and they never touched it again or not even never touched it. They like, they just were like, we're going to have this thing about immortality and that's it. So all in all, I think that the visuals and also the, I mean, I want to say the music is also fantastic. Um, all of that stuff is great. I think it gets into the, spe uh, the spectacle itis type of deal where it's like, there's so much cool shit on screen going on, but that's mostly it, as far as I can see. All right, so first things first, right? I do really want to say, a Shamisen has three strings. <laughs> Zero out of ten. Zero out of ten. There is no point. There is There were no three strings on movie. it. Yeah, I was wondering, there why were... are there two strings? It, 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 I, I looked it up. Shamisen is the name of the instrument. Yes. There is no point in the movie, except for a brief uh, moment while he is restringing the instrument where there are only two strings on it. I don't right. know why it's called Kubo and the two strings. I feel like that must have been like a holdover from an earlier draft when the fact that there were the two strings from his parents was a bigger deal, right? The, uh, the bow string from his father and the hair from his mother. And then he but, uses like, his own hair as the third one. So. Yeah. And then he uses his own hair as the third <laughs> it's, string. And it's, it's so like... weird because like they go out of their way to emphasize that there are in fact, three strings on this instrument multiple times in like <laughs> when he's restringing the instruments, like, he, he has the two strings, and then he pulls his own hair to make it three strings. It's like, you didn't have right, to do that so if you wanted to just make it two strings. Exactly. I, I Anyway, that aside, I feel like we broadly sort of agree, right? And I, I brought this movie. I saw it in theaters. And I will be honest that I didn't really remember much of it beyond the aesthetics. Because that is definitely the strongest point in this film. I mean, the stop motion is beautiful. The the detail and the, the character... Or I shouldn't say character. I guess that's a confusing word here. The personality with which they built not just their characters, but their their scenes, right? Their the little worlds. I mean, it's it's exquisitely done. And you're right that stop motion is not something that we see pretty much like ever in the big screen. I, I think there's a a, a, a beauty, a, like a, this this magic to uh, the the way that not only they do the stop motion, but they also that they weave sort of, uh, and particularly with, you know, little baby Hanzo, but that they weave the art of origami into the construction of the scenes. I mean, it is, it is like, there's something so sublime about seeing characters perform origami that are half origami themselves, you know, uh, just a, a, a gorgeous. And I, I think sort of this esoteric kind of feel to it. Um, I, 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 as far as your points about the narrative and the structure, I'll push back a little bit on the point that there's not a whole lot of depth to the characters because I think it definitely, definitely I think some of the characters are just like there to be there. I think Kubo's like hero's journey is very, not trite, but very like formulaic, if you will, uh, the way that he sort of grows up. I, I think definitely 
he's got some flair, you know, like the opening lines to the movie being like the opening lines of his storytelling thing. I think Kubo as a protagonist is likable and sympathetic, but not all that like unique, you know, and that's not to say that he's boring, you know, or trite or anything, but it's like, it's, it's definitely a version of the hero story that we've heard before. My one big thing is that I'll push back on is that the characters have no depth at all is that I will point to Monkey and the sisters as being like, uh, to me, a really satisfying uh, interplay. And we'll get into that when we talk about favorite moments. But what I will say is that I think the sort of moral of the story that they were going for, you talked about with the theme of mortality and tying that into stories and conclusions. Um and how this story is, they literally talk about their quest. Like, Kubo talks about it as being in one of his stories. So the art of storytelling is, like, key, key central component to, like, the the philosophy of this movie. I think all of that very high-minded, very high-concept idea-making runs very orthogonal to the literal action of the quest and to the sort of character development, the very charming, I will say, the very charming and heartwarming sort of rediscovery of, uh, you know, Monkey and Beetle and how they used to be this married couple and sort of them rediscovering that uh, interplay between them, that dynamic. Very charming, very, like, heartwarming. And, you know, the dangers they face on the quest, the the lake and the eyes and the... Uh, the the, the sisters chasing after them, all this stuff. I just don't think those... The, it, there's not a very good connection between them. They weren't woven into each other. You know, there was no scene where Kubo, you know, said... Like, Kubo said is like, I uh, don't want to be immoral because, you know, all good stories have an ending. He never said that my, you know, my parents' story, I'm not, you know, like, I'm sad that they died, but at least they got their good ending, their story is now complete. You know, there was never anything about, uh, I mean, fuck if I know, like like looking back on their story now that he knew the whole thing, right? He grew up hearing stories about his father and, you know, I would have loved to see like, for example, a scene where he retells that story again. We could have ended the movie with him retelling the story of his parents, but like for real this time, you know, there just wasn't a whole lot of connection between those ideas. And I think that was sort of something that may have gotten lost in drafts on the drawing room floor. Who knows? Um, but overall, I definitely think that, you know, it has its charm. It has its problems with pacing. And I think it's a movie that leans most heavily on the thoroughness of its aesthetic world. You guys jumped right into analyzing the fucking movie in the in the first yeah. segment of our episode. Like, <laughs> I know we're what, getting. What we're am getting, I supposed like, to like, say? Uh, and I agree with everything on, you guys said. Like, almost a hundred episodes in, the problem is we like talking. We like we we want to get to our ideas. At least for me, I want to get to my ideas before I forget them. And like Michael saying all this stuff was like, oh yeah, that reminds me. I had all these things I wanted to say. We get more and more greedy about like saying more and more in our opening statements <laughs> every single episode. Like I eventually, it's it. just eventually we're just gonna start recording like four separate. 15 minute dialogues <laughs> and, like, just, and just like I am oh, my god that's, that that's when we end the podcast that's, when, that, that's, that's how you know that we've jumped the shark yeah. we've jumped the couch well in terms of my experience watching this movie uh, I remember I remember having a similar kind of initial like oh shit stop motion in the year 2016 kind of thing that Michael <laughs> mentioned where it was like it is kind of a, you know, with CGI being so prevalent now, it is kind of a, a lost art in the sense. And 
Uh, I remember when I first saw like ads for the movie, I was like, oh man, I I want to go see this movie just for to see like stop motion from a you know big kind of production company. And then college started, my junior year started, and I completely fucking forgot about it. So I never watched this in theaters. Um, I, I watched it for the first time on Friday uh, of this past week. So um, broadly, yes, uh, Iris and Michael, everything that you guys have said, um, I agree with. Uh, I think that there's... Uh, I, 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 one of the things that I was kind of thinking of going into this episode is that when we get to favorite characters, it's like, how many characters can we really choose from? You're looking at maybe <laughs> three. I don't even know if you can consider the Moon King our character more than just I'm going to the... choose that old lady. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. Honestly, choose... old lady was a great character. Exactly. Old lady, yeah, old lady was basically the grandma from Mulan. <laughs> well, yeah, which is her, like, that's her entire character. And like, yes, you can choose her, but she has like ten lines and they're all the same. They're, it's just the same thing in different words but in any case uh like yes beautiful animation beautiful music uh, i think that the the stop motion you know actually exceeded my expectations honestly it is you know compared to other examples of stop motion that we've discussed on the podcast namely wallace and gromit this is significantly more polished you can tell that a lot more money and production work went into it and a bigger team went into it uh michael you had mentioned watching videos about you know kind of the behind the scenes of it um we'll talk about the scene the the one where they fight the skeleton with the uh the swords in its head that's kind of like their their quote-unquote their their crowning achievement for the stop motion really? because that's a it's a it's a literal 16 foot pu- puppet yeah. and all of the bones are like magnets so they're all connected mm-hmm. like that and they can all kind of move by themselves i mean i was gonna make the same statement about a different scene which we'll get to in a minute but yeah, let's curious. have marcus finishes uh thank you alex you care about I'm me and i appreciate it um you don't gotta police me <laughs> but <laughs> host duties Police think, go on. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. We'll stop interrupting you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, as I was saying, um, I think that it's a little weird because I watched this movie kind of in three separate sittings. I, I watched these mo- these movies before work, so um, you know, I watched kind of the first act and then the second act on yesterday, and then uh, the third act today, and. I think Iris, you made a point about how like you 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 were like flagging a little bit with how the movie was going. You kind of lost in following its message. Maybe Michael mentioned that instead. I no, I think that, I think it was what no, Michael said. Yeah, yeah, but I I felt the exact same way. Like I was watching the I was watching the second act after having watched the first act the previous day, and I was like, I am having a very difficult time focusing on the movie, even after Beetle is introduced, which is kind of like. There's a there's a little bit of jolt of life in there. The, his character and Matthew McConaughey's performance, you know, brings a little bit more of that, uh, you know, that lighthearted humor and stuff into the movie. But I was just finding it difficult to really feel like this this movie was actually getting anywhere. And then to the third act's credit, I think it concludes very very well. I think it it almost kind of wipes away all of its previous sins and you know ends on a very satisfying note, at least in my opinion. Um, so I will I will give it that credit, but. Yeah, the the things that we mentioned about the pacing and the things that we mentioned about character depth and the things about, you know, the messages of this movie and, and the emphasis on stories not really being followed up upon or maybe put in the spotlight as much as they really should have for a movie that, you know, for all intents and purposes, is not Disney-fied. Alex, you mentioned, like, this is a, a movie that treats these darker kind of themes with more maturity, which I really appreciate. 
but it could have done more. And I think we all agree that, you know, we, we could have definitely seen a better movie uh, with that in mind. Here's a note I'll make about the pacing. I feel like each individual, like, scene, I understood what was happening. You know, each individual challenge. Oh, they're fighting the monster, you know, and here's, uh, you know, they're they're having to do this thing on two fronts. You know, their pursuers have caught up with them while they're struggling in the lake. Oh, they're meeting this mysterious character who, you know, uh, is going to change the dynamic of their little adventuring party. Oh, they're, you know like finding the ruins of Hanzo's home. Oh, he's going back to where it all began, right? Each individual scene, I feel like I could understand like the course of the narrative, the course of the action, right? The through line, even if individual parts of it, you know, may not have been totally justified, you know, namely like Kubo's magic progressing that there was nothing. It just happened. (laughs) I'm more powerful now. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like my problem with the pacing is that it was never clear to me how we got from one scene to the next. Like, how we moved from, okay, we are in a tunnel fighting a skeleton to, okay, we are on a lake, you know, and now we are in the castle, and now we are back in the village. Like, it's just all sort of, like, the scenes are, these different scenes are sort of jammed together. There's no mortar in between the bricks. Yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, there. I, I think while we were watching the movie Iris, there was one point. I think it was exactly the the cave. They like explode out of the cave. Uh, it was yeah. dark when they went in, and then it's like daytime now. Well, it was dark, and they were in the Arctic. Yeah, when they went in, and they come out, it's bright, and they're in. Oh a forest. yeah, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like and some freaking video then... game cutscene. <laughs> and also like when they were you know it's like oh the long lake we can never walk away all the way around it it's too large and then he's like all right we got the helmet i'm gonna you know the ship is broken and now the ship's back together and let's be off the lake and suddenly they're just at this castle was the lake big or not well they couldn't walk around <laughs> it they had to go through <laughs> it <laughs> yeah but there's a whole like montage scene of them like you know the sun getting lower as they go further across the water and it's like there's more to this complaint than just like, oh, you know, the literal places that they walked to didn't feel connected. But I feel like it's indicative of sort of the the nature of the lack of transitions between these distinct moments. Yeah. And I think we'll talk a little bit more on the the pacing of the story. Uh, But first, why don't we talk about the characters and some of the scenes uh, we liked in this movie? Uh, So I I suppose I'll go first. Uh, because I think my favorite, uh, you're right, Marcus, I feel like there are not enough characters, uh, in this movie that will sort of, like, overlap with one another. So I think I'm just going to pick the, the sisters, the twins. Dang it, you stole mine. (laughs) Oh, damn it. I'm sorry, Michael. Uh, yeah, I think... Their their characters meld with my one of my favorite scenes. Uh, it's their first introduction, uh, and I think the sisters were what convinced me to go see this movie in the first place because they show up in the trailers, and it's the exact scene when they're first introduced. Uh, Kubo's at the lake. It's uh, night for the first time, I suppose, in his life that he's been out of his home. And the lanterns just uh, turn off one by one, the lanterns in the lake. And suddenly these this figure is standing across from him, uh, across the lake. And uh, 
it's just floating there. This woman uh, with this long, big, like, witch's hat. And from behind her, a second woman kind of cellularly divides almost and just mitosis yeah (laughs) sickest Uh, reveal i think i've ever seen yeah yeah it was great extremely atmospheric extremely well done and kind of sets the threat of these mysterious witch-like figures for them uh and yeah any scene that they're in i feel is filled with danger much more so than the moon king in my opinion moon king's kind of just like a, a big fish at the end uh but these two sisters uh when they're fighting hanzo when they're fighting monkey uh with like their weapons their chain shots and the swords all of it is done with an action that's really ferocious and uh thematically really dark and so yeah i think they add so much to this movie and provide a great sort of uh secondary antagonist uh to the movie uh but yeah those are my favorite scenes and my favorite characters uh what about the rest of y'all yeah so i'll add on to the um the sisters because i think they're also my favorite characters in the sense that you're right they like have this like insane amount of menace to them that i just love um i also love the idea and this is like tangentially related that like um at the beginning so I came, I watched this movie for the first time this week, like on Wednesday or whatever. And, uh, I think I was, I was perfectly primed to be really intrigued by the first act because when Kubo is telling his, the first, uh, like story about Origami Hanzo and he's like defeating the moon King or whatever, he like, he mentions the moon King, but I don't think that it registered to me that the story that he was telling was like related at all. Right. And so when, uh, his mom reminded Kubo that like, just remember, don't go out at night by yourself. You have to come back here before dark. I was like, that's interesting. Why is why, why? And so when it was revealed that the sisters are basically like, just all like literally their gaze is the nighttime, right? That kind of idea. That's like, whatever is nighttime they are able to see and they'd be like we've been looking for you kubo for so long and i'm like oh my god um so that was cool (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah and just the whole aesthetics of them being from space or like the coldness of the stars i feel like is such uh an interesting almost eldritch kind of spin on these villains and yeah it really adds a layer of depth to them I'm going to say now what I said when we were watching the movie. Kubo's maternal family are Lunarians. <laughs> <laughs> they are Lunarians. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I think that they're definitely my favorite uh, characters in any sense of the word uh, in this movie. As for my favorite scene, and I don't know if this is the one you were alluding, you were alluding to, Iris, but maybe I'll steal it. Um, it's when Kubo's underwater. And uh, he's going against... We're around the same point. It's, it's kind of the same, but okay. not exactly. Yeah, he's going... I forgot... What, is, what do they call him? Like, the the Watcher under the lake or something like that? Like Something. Yeah, it was something, something very, like, like, Cthulhu. I think Watchers, up. plural. Something like that. Um, that was... Oh, my God. Because that was the one moment where I was like, there's no way this is stop motion. But it is. Holy shit. It's, um... It feels like... I don't know. if <laughs> Like, it... It, do, it doesn't feel right. 
feels like you're you're at the end of of, of uh, Earthbound or something. It's it's weird. Um, uh, I have the name of the monster. It's called the Garden of Eyes. Oh, there you go. Oh, it's pretty that's, cool. Oh, incredible. That's even cooler, yeah. Um, so yeah, that scene is phenomenal just visually. Um, like there's like some intense like thalassophobia going on as well as like all of the freaking eyeballs and this weird like thing that's coming up. It's it's like alien. I like I want I want more of the movie down there. <laughs> um, <laughs> although I was confused. I, I think maybe I just missed it, but like he, I don't, I don't even, this goes back to your point, Iris. I don't even know when he actually grabbed the armor during that whole sequence. I'm like, when did he get the armor? He got it, right? He grabbed it. He grabbed it immediately. Yeah. And then the eyes yeah. showed up. I, I think I just missed it. Cause I'm like, wait, wait, where is, what's happening? Well, um, cause he, yeah. he jumps into the water and then he looks like the first place he looks and the armor's there. Oh, like okay. he didn't even have to search for it. It was yeah. just kind of floating there and it was glowing a little bit and shit. Yeah. So yeah, that's my favorite scene. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll jump on the on the tail end of that. Uh, briefly, my favorite character has got to be Monkey uh, for not a whole lot of reason. Just like I, I was very charmed by her and charmed by the sort of uh, the the interplay between the sort of grumpy and pragmatic mother figure versus the okay, you know, maybe I can like smile at these two idiots having fun with each other and you know starting to like. F- flirt with beetle again when they're you know figuring their shit out it's adorable you know there's a meme floating around about you know like oh the grumpy one is soft for the sunshine one and that's like (laughs) totally me i'm totally am just suckered by that every time uh my favorite scene is sort of you know the other half of yours michael it is the fight between Mm, uh monkey and the first sister on the sinking ship uh wow that is, like, for me, I cannot believe they did that in stop motion. I mean, it's the exact same thing, right? It's just the 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 fidelity of the water and the the fidelity of the ship made of these, like, hundreds of tiny little, like, autumn leaves, you know? And the way that the ship slowly gets torn apart is, uh, you know, with the... the, the uh, the chain, the, like, the, I think they were, like, comma on, on chains or something like that. Like, these little short scythe things. Um, it's just, like, like the, the, the level of detail as the ship gets torn to pieces and begins to splinter and then crack and sink. Uh, I, I, it is impossible to me, like, to understand how they did that in stop motion. And moreover, just the scene itself is framed so beautifully. There's this, like, really powerful, like, chiaroscuro thing going on with the full moon shining down and the dark sky. Uh, you know, the flash of silver chains and, like, white, mon- you know, monkeys, like, white fur. And then, you know, just this blackness of the water, like, swallowing everything up. It is, like, on top of everything else, right? We've already talked about the sisters and how they are this I- extremely imposing presence and... Uh, I just think it's it's beautifully framed. You know, I think to me that is the strongest moment of this film. And to me, it feels like that was uh, like the achievement, um, which is not to say that the skeleton is not, but that was what I was alluding to earlier when I was surprised that you were, you were, uh, you know, saying that that was like the biggest achievement of the film. Cause it's, I mean, I guess the conclusion is that it's hard to narrow it down to one achievement because from a technical standpoint, this film is a masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I personally don't believe that's the, you know the coolest looking scene or whatever they they touted as their crowning achievement because it's apparently like the largest you know set animatronic that they could use for stop motion it's like 16 feet tall you know they're they're all they're they, of course the people that worked on it are super fucking hype about it but in any case um <laughs> what i find interesting about 
kind of how both of you, both you, Iris and Michael, your favorite scenes are kind of the two sides of that entire you know section of the movie. Is the thing that gets me most is that Hanzo is missing from both parts of it. Like he's just kind of relegated out of that yeah. like, entire section of the movie entirely, and then he comes up and he's like, "I caught it, and it's a fish." So that's supposed to be like a cheap laugh, but you're just like, "What the fuck, Hanzo? Can you actually just do something helpful, like for what, <laughs> like for either Kubo or for Monkey?" In any case, I will eventually. I will just end up picking Beetle as my favorite character, not necessarily because I like, um, like. I think Matthew McConaughey gives a good performance. I think the humor definitely adds something to the movie. Broadly, I think that what this is probably it's probably not accurate to say he's my favorite character. It's like the character that I wish that they just did a little more for because he compared to Monkey, who I think actually gets quite a bit of development. You know, you, you first she's you know Monkey, and then she is revealed to kind of be the reincarnation, quote unquote, of uh, Kubo's mom. And there's like stages to her to her character growth to a point where like you can be like oh that's I completely understand like the sentimentality and how she becomes softer to Kubo and becomes more motherly to Kubo I really like that that you know that process my opinion I think Hanzo kind of got the short end of the stick there um, he doesn't really get that like he learns that he's actually Hanzo and not just a, a quote unquote follower of him. That was cursed to be a beetle, and then he dies like thirty seconds later. Like, there's no point where you can actually feel like the interplay between Hanzo and Monkey is developed more, or like the interplay, especially between Hanzo and Kubo, is developed more. It's like they, it's like they purposely tried to keep that out of the movie so that Hanzo remains kind of that superheroish figure for Kubo instead of an actual, you know, human father. I guess. Yeah, like. You hit the nail on the head with my problem on Beetle is that they they set up this great like ability for the you know the the not the redemption if you will but the coming into his own of figuring out who he is and then they just cut it short with a pair of shears right there. I feel like you know they could have his entire character arc would have been made so much better if they had just taken like two minutes you know like in the final fight scene say like. You know, Monkey is already hurt and, you know, she can't keep fighting and the sister's like, oh, you know, you you can't save her and Beetle's like, they're just being useless because he's Beetle. And and <laughs> then he's like, ah, oh, you were Hanzo, you know, and you, you're cursed and now I'm going to, like, kill your wife. And and then Beetle has this moment of, like, I may not remember being him, but I can still, you know, like, like do what he did and, like, have a brief moment of, like, you know, Kubo, run, I'm going to protect Monkey. And then he fights with the 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 sister and you know rather than just having this like i think literally the screen like flashed white from they were you know they were all about to be fighting or like he did one massive blow the screen flashes white and then they were all dead yeah kubo kubo plays one Can we note just have like thing oh yeah kubo plays the note that's right could yeah. we just have a brief scene a brief scene of beetle not being courageous because it's not like he wasn't courageous earlier but being like serious and being effective and being the hero warrior the samurai you know channeling that energy that's all he needed. Yeah, yeah, I definitely feel that. I mean, the whole the whole arc this story goes through and the whole arc that Kubo goes through is uh, at its core a family story. Uh, it's a story about, uh, at the end of this movie, how a kid accepts the passing of both of his parents and uh, realizes that uh, he should cherish the memories of those parents rather than not having them at all. Except we don't, you're right, we don't see the 
there's no real build up towards that ending. I mean, we do get some family esque moments between them on the boat, for example, like the the fish eating scene, which is very cute. Uh, but you're right, Iris, that having Hanzo like immediately be revealed to be Hanzo uh, and then dies at the end, it doesn't allow that sort of uh, that sort of connection for Kubo and for the audience for us to have with this other character. We already have it with Monkey, uh, so we got that half of the puzzle. But yeah, without that connection to Hanzo, the the sort of ending resolution, it's not as whole as it could be. I, I still appreciate how uh, the message of the story is constructed in that way to have Kubo kind of accept the loss and move on. But yeah, you're right. It could have been so much better. Yeah, I will also add that I think the argument between Beetle and Monkey on the Beach is another example of like a family scene, if you will. Not a positive one, but it is definitely like it was very much, you know, like two arguing parents. And it's like, you know, uh, I can still hear you arguing. Then play louder, kid. We're talking, you know, and then like arguing what's best for him. And, you know, it, it was very much like, uh, you know, domestic dispute sort of thing, uh, like that exact same energy. I think a lot of that family development is sort of lost on an initial watch through because it's not clear who Beetle is, you know, and like. Watching it this time, I remembered, you know, that Monkey was his mom and Beetle was his dad, right? Like, I remembered that from when I saw it in theaters. And that, to me, gave those scenes more context. But without that, it sort of feels like it doesn't have its legs out under it. This is something I think about sometimes where, you know, it's like how, how when you're writing a story and you go through so many hundreds of iterations and changing little things and big things and, and readjusting the narrative and readjusting stuff, right? It can be very easy to forget what the story seems like for someone who's watching it for the very first time. And I think a lot of storytelling that gets too far in its own head, you know, that gets too cerebral or too like lost in its own like story really forgets that point. And I, I think this is a prime example of that. I think they sort of, it's a story that sort of really loses a lot if you don't have that context. And not to say that stories that gain new meaning on a, another you know, watch through or read through, uh, like don't have a place here. But there's a difference, I think, between understanding more versus like understanding more in successive watchings versus not having enough information the first time around. I have a I, I think I broadly agree, but I have a slight addendum that I would want to add, which is that the way that a twist is supposed to recontextualize previous events is what that is, right? And with that in mind, I think that the movie thought that Beetle being Hanzo was enough of a twist where the recontextualization of them being like, oh, that's why he's being overprotected because he was his dad. That's what they were trying to go for. And I think there is a world in which that could have worked, but I don't think it did. And therefore... We no longer see it in through the lens of a twist recontextualization, and it's more of like a "what is happening right now" type deal. Exactly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna focus in on uh, one of the words you used: recontextualization. A twist works when it is recontextualizing stuff we've seen before. It does not work when it is simply providing the context in the first place. If there's no context beforehand, then a twist is just an explanation that came too late. 
and and what I'll say to kind of cap that off is that uh, you know, Iris, I agreed. One, I think you know, just literally one more, maybe even two minute scene probably would have done at least you know enough justice to feel like you know Beatles' character is now a character and you can actually get through because you know as a first time watcher, the way I saw it was like. But I thought Beetle was just a follower of Hanzo. You're telling me that he's just actually Hanzo now? Yeah, also like, the reveal was very stilted. It's just yeah. like, haha, remember how you used to be Hanzo and then we cursed you and made you forget? Now I'm telling you, fuck you. So I want to add something. And so I, as I said, I had not, I had not watched this film until Wednesday. Immediately, I was like, oh, he's Hanzo, right? Um, yeah, it's kind of, and it's it's one of that's it. It's one of those things where it's so hard to be to. It's it's so hard for a author to predict their audience in that sense because what I mean to say is I actually don't think I had the same problems that you might have had, Iris, because I I was already in the mindset of like, oh, this is Hanzo. Oh, they're already being a little cutesy together. Oh, therefore that's like what's going on. But I completely empathize with someone who didn't realize that that was the context and therefore found that kind of weird but i guess for me like because i was able to suss that out it almost felt kind of cool to be like hey i see what they're doing here but i guess like i did remember it like i yeah. didn't know that was what was happening but it, it felt like this sort of thing is like you, this isn't gonna make sense unless you that that was my main no i know complaint, i'm saying but i'm saying as a, from the perspective of someone who literally didn't watch this until a few days ago I I didn't have that experience, but I think that was just because, like, I, like, big-brained their script so hard or something like that. You know, like, yeah, I've got the the pea-sized brain because I I missed it. I was just like, ah, I'm taking taking Beatles. Are we just a platform for, like, Marcus to do self-deprecating stand-up and Michael to, like, self-aggrandize? Okay, well, hold hold on here. Self-deprecating humor is literally my, like, like, two of my brains of humor. Oh, yeah, I guess guess it's not self-deprecating humor. I guess if it were self-deprecating humor, it'd have to be funny. I saw the twist in the Lego movie coming from a mile away. (laughs) (laughs) Here's Michael bragging about his intelligence again. There it is, folks. That's our show. Uh, I will say, if you're surprised at this point, I don't know what y'all are doing. Yeah, I mean, I guess we should just have a section where Iris needlessly shits on me because it happens every fucking episode. (laughs) Anyway, Uh, uh, I will circle this way the back around to my favorite moment because I still haven't gotten there. (laughs) Have we actually not? (laughs) Yes, you guys keep interrupting me! Roll the tape. Beetle was just a follower of Hanzo. You're telling me that he's just actually Hanzo now? Yeah. Also, like, the reveal was very stilted. It's like, ah, I, I, I'm taking on, I'm taking Beetle. Are we for, just for, a platform for, for like? Uh, oh god. But uh, I will say, one extremely satisfying thing to watch is uh, Beetle's multiple arms knocking arrows as arrows yeah, are that was flying cool. out of it. That's really that cool. That shit. That shit. I ate that shit up. That was every single time I was watching. <laughs> like, holy shit! I I want like a third arm to do that. But um, favorite moment, I think, is when they arrive uh, at the the ruins of his old castle. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's just like the fact that it's ruined and that it, you know it's it's very kind of uh, like deep dark you know it was pitch black and everything is destroyed and they're walking through the ruins I, that was just a really cool scene to me and again uh it's it's testament to how high quality the the stop motion is there are many you know parts of this movie that make you forget that it's even stop motion at all how do they even stop motion underwater how does that work like do they like 
are they are they CGIing the water on top of the original stop motion, or do they just have like this fucking? No, they just they just they just tossed all the models like into <laughs> water and then took pictures really fast. Well, see, but here's the thing: they could use like resin if they wanted to, right? Or or not resin, but like something that was more viscous than water and have it so that they could actually stop motion in a liquid form. Like this might be like beyond our purview. I mean, answer. I would imagine it's some kind of post effect, but the post effect itself that's, doesn't necessarily have to be CGI. It can be something sure, else. That's that layer was my guess. Like my guess is that they were just like you know doing the stop motion and like you know yeah. just as normal. Because like and you know making each individual hair stand up, and then afterwards there was processing done to make it look like we were viewing it through okay. underwater. So all like the floating yeah. stuff was just like manual. Yeah. Because if be you look guess. at the if you look at the behind the scenes, they are actually filming on green screens. And so there's that element of like video editing, but there's no like CGI going on. Like all of the sure, sure, all sure. Of the frames are being captured in camera, but they're being like you know layered together and stuff like that. Right, and then they're doing some you know post editing effects yeah. and stuff like yeah. the, like the glow around the eyes and shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's actually just like they just made a bunch of jello. <laughs> here um, uh, I do want to talk um uh, just a bit about a little more about the pacing of this movie because we've alluded to it before uh i think the parts that stick out most to me for how weirdly this movie was paced is the fact that uh at the end of act one when kubo is sent on this grand journey to find uh whatever it is it's what it's the helm it's the sword and the yeah, the, the the sword unbreakable the armor impenetrable and the helm invulnerable yeah like uh but he's like sent out on this grand journey and we have absolutely no idea where these objects are. And yeah. <laughs> the main way that uh, when he wakes up, he's like talking to Monkey and the way that they are directed towards it is, oh, it's the origami Hanzo that just magically knows where these items are. Uh, and yeah, it was just, uh, in retrospect, just seemed, again for specifically the sake of moving the story along uh and just the fact that it's like okay we're immediately moving on to finding the sword uh no no question about it no discussion on the magic system in this world which of course i mean the magic system of this world very soft magic it's not really explained at all why Kubo can use magic in the first place. I guess it's because he's grandson of the Moon King. But yeah, it, it was just... I feel like if it had a little bit more detail on the reasons why the uh, these things happened in the first place, it would have provided a little bit more context to it. So... I agree. Oh, let me just first touch on the magic system because I agree it's like very very soft. They don't really explain much. Like the 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 key thing that I think of with this magic system is why would Kubo's eye being removed make him immortal, right? Their reason was so that you can become blind to the mortal world, right? That's their entire reason and that in itself that is very soft. It's soft magic, which is not a problem because you don't need to do this stuff as long as you're not trying to solve problems with things, right? So here's my issue. Not issue, but I have a question for y'all because I still don't know why this happened or why this even was a thing. Why does Kubo need the armor? Do we know? 
Because when he has all three pieces, he has become immune. And, there, and then the it doesn't thing. work. I know. It literally doesn't do anything. <laughs> so that's my... It's because he was his grip was too weak and the sword fell out of his hands go. and then it stopped working. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, I think that, that's, that, that for me is the biggest... My biggest issue with it. Because the ending is really cool. The fact that he uses the shamisen breaks the straight like when he breaks he strums it and breaks it it's like oh that's so cool and the whole thing about him like you know like i'm gonna use the the memories of the mortal people to turn you mortal and into an old man because memories are the most powerful magic what did the armor have to do with anything (laughs) (laughs) i I mean you can totally do a thing where it's like the armor wasn't the thing the important thing right the important thing was learning to accept the story and learning you know to accept yourself or whatever fucking more you want to put into it (laughs) exactly Exactly. you can do something like that but you have to actually do exactly you cannot just like you know have it be like seven layers down of implicit meanings like by the fact that you just don't have the armor do anything yes. right <laughs> make a point of it like actually tell your story yes then that and yes yes that that is my biggest issue with this that the armor literally did nothing and or they didn't actually use the armor not doing anything in the story it kind of just was like we did the thing <laughs> yeah i mean if we're lining up to uh like nail our 97 pacing complaints to the studio door. My biggest one is going to be the, the, just the whole conversation with the moon King at the, okay. First of all, the dream, why the fuck would Kubo listen to the person trying to kill (laughs) him telling him where to go in a dream? You dumb fuck. Obviously, you know, it's stupid, but the whole time when, you know, like when the moon King shows up, Right? And he's supposed to be this sort of serene and ethereal and very above it all evil, but like not invested, you know, not like personally sort of. And, you know, of course, like, you know, all that's an act. And, you know, we've even heard about like how his rage, at, you know, the betrayal of Kubo's mom. Right. It's just like I could not stand how bald facedly evil he was. You know, he didn't even try to hide it. He's like, no, I am going to, you should become an immortal and I'm going to take your other eyes so you can become immortal because you have to and your mother was a traitor and, you know, this place is evil and awful and I will destroy it just to make you become an immortal. It's like the, the, the charade lasted for all of two seconds. And it just, like, sucked any of the gravitas out of the threat as a character. Literally, when he was like, oh, well, so you want to fight a monster and, and and die like a mortal? Then fine. Have it your way. I was hoping so desperately. Like, I saw this image in my mind as he said that line of, like, they'd fight and they'd have this confrontation and Kubo would just, you know, like, put his all into it and come close to death but barely come out on top. And then, like, Moon Grandpa would reform and be like, there, did you get it all out of your system? Can we actually talk now? That would have been such a great moment. Because, it, you know, it, it, it at least for, like, the characterization of this Grandpa, you know, like, Moon King. And, like, the, the characterization of, like, the threat that he's facing. But it literally just came down to, you gotta defeat the dragon monster. And that was not satisfying for what it felt like they, they were trying to say with this story. And also, I think that they could have leaned further into his whole, like, dehumanization of, like, his mindset. Where he's like, like, if he was somehow, like, you know, a manifestation of this, like, eldritch 
idea elder god type deal yeah this this, it, this impersonal like implacable un you know like doesn't see the value exactly right like like the anti-storyteller if right. you will they like they 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 should have leaned into the fact that he literally does not take any care in human life or human stories or human memories right and so like like do do like you could do a lot of shit with that but it just turned into big fish thing exactly <laughs> and it's like it's like Big big fish monster, kill the big fish monster feels like the very first idea, the zeroth idea even. And it's like there could have been so much potential if you had just dug a little deeper there. Yeah, I think if there was a world where we would have that, uh, the fact that Kubo couldn't defeat the uh, moon grandpa, moon king, uh, with the sword, with the armor, with the with the helmet and like actually show like you said iris show that he couldn't kill him that he'd just reform afterwards and then realize that playing the shamisen and having that connection with people around him and people who've passed on through the stories uh it would have been more impactful i do still like the message though in the ending in like a vacuum if you if we take a look at like the third act in a vacuum when they get to Hanzo's, uh, Hanzo's castle, both Hanzo and Monkey die. And then afterwards, Kubo approaches the Moon King. Moon King has the values of, like, why, why should you care about these people in the first place if you're just going to lose them? Why don't you just come with me where we won't have to care about these moral pains? Uh, and Kubo refusing and refusing through that fight through that battle i feel like that in and of itself is like a really succinct uh and poignant narrative and really hits on the themes of this movie uh how we get there to the third act though uh i think is where we're we're having a bit more of our gripes with just how this uh how there were so many things that were set up that didn't have a lot of payoff for them is that right do you guys feel like uh, I, I'm saying, yeah, sort of, I don't think I'd phrase it like that, but I get what you're Yeah. Getting. I think some things have payoff and other things have less payoff depending on how they're executed. I think the, like Michael, I think you, you threw away this comment about how it feels kind of like a, uh, like a quest, like you're going on a quest and you have these party members and shit. Like a lot of this movie feels kind of questy in the way that, oh, you have to get these three things and you put them together mm-hmm. and then you go face the final boss and you fight the final boss and defeat the fish monster. You, you win. Like the, I think Iris, you you made the 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 quip that like this was like the zeroth idea or some shit in the writing room where they like I feel like that's that might be true like these these are just very kind of base like very simple you know do this do this do this have this happen have this happen they you know they throw these ideas around and they just roll with it and like a lot of the issues with the both the pacing and the seriousness of how the the themes come together can kind of be traced back to the fact that the like the base storyline feels kind of like not constructed in a way that feels like an actual narrative. It just feels like a bunch of things you check off a checklist. Like that's kind of the, one of the biggest issues with the, the first uh, act for me was that like, you know, one, obviously there, there's that big climactic moment where the, uh, you know, mother sacrifices herself in front of her sisters to have Kubo fly away. And then he wakes up and monkeys alive. Like that is great. 
And then they just like walk to places. And it's just like, why are they just walking to places when you could have actual things happen where you could either elaborate on mother? Like, because at that point, that character is shrouded more in mystery. Like, you, you know that it's not the mother, but you know that like she cares very deeply for Kubo. You could elaborate on Kubo. And instead, you just have this scene where Kubo sends a origami bird up monkey's ass and you're supposed to laugh like <laughs> i just don't understand like it's a kids movie yes but like that just it's like anti-plot building it's like mm. you're not doing anything actively to improve my understanding of the movie no but kubo's magic was getting stronger and, and like, he needed to see kubo's magic getting stronger so he could make yeah. the boat in and also two. that bird is like a key character it freaking out changes the entire plot so <laughs> It, it, it's it's even evident in that because like it's literally a throwaway line where monkey's like you you can't control your magic yet you have to be like careful or whatever the fuck she says and then it's never brought up ever again like then then yeah. is this and is then this. he summons a boat out of nowhere yeah, he just makes a fucking boat and everybody's like <laughs> and the kid's getting stronger yeah the, oh, whoa. the two parents are like oh we're gonna stop bickering because we see this literal child make a boat out of leaves and we're just be like Yes, Kubo, keep doing There's that, even though I told you not to do definitely that. Definitely some metaphors for like unhealthy family dynamics there. Well, I mean, I think I think that was one of the, the comedic, you know, points of the movie that actually hit because not to say that, you know, domestic disputes is something that's funny, but it's something that is definitely like relatable for a lot of children that you know see their parents bicker and stuff and things like that i'm done ranting i i you know i've i've aired out all my grievances of this movie i think um i just like there as i had mentioned before i know we could have seen a better movie we just didn't and it you know obviously we <laughs> we, we we were resting on the laurels of very very powerful very strong animation and very very good music but that only elevates the narrative so much and it really you know it's it's kind of it's it's almost jarring to see how weak the narrative is compared to the strength of those other two aspects of the movie. Yeah, I mean absolutely. I think that's why it is so painful, you know, the the wasted potential here is because they had so much potential. Like the idea uh of like the premise, the idea of the the moral they're trying to evoke you know the idea of like just the the aesthetic world that they created is so like there's so much room for possibility there and that's why it hurts to be like okay well they just they, they set up all of this amazing stuff and then they just like the first idea that they had you know as as a conclusion is what they wrote down like my biggest gripe i think with the sort of overall construction of the narrative um well, I'll rephrase it. My biggest gripe with, like, the the sort of overall message of this story, right? You know, the whole uh, discussion of mortality and endings of stories. Is that at the end of the day, it's not clear to me what Kubo learned or how Kubo changed in order to come to that conclusion about mortality and stories and endings. It's not, it doesn't feel to me like he achieved that in any way. It just feels like at the end of the movie, they said, this is what the moral is. They just told us, you know, like what did Kubo learn in this final confrontation with, you know, Moon Grandpa that, oh, if you remember real hard, then your magic gets stronger. That's what it feels like happened. And it doesn't feel like he really came to terms with anything or achieved some kind of wisdom or, uh, you know, like, like there was no like, like counterplay of like, you know, the, the moon King's ideology versus his, you know, the, this meeting of the minds, they just fought and Kubo won. 
So I guess he gets to win. How, like, like, I really wish they just had that message be evident in, like, how Kubo achieves his victory. Yeah, I mean, there is some change uh, with Kubo. Like, at the beginning, there's a whole thing where he never finishes a story at the end uh, when he's performing. Uh, but, and you're right, it's not really clear how he goes from the beginning of that to, like, not wanting to finish the story to... Uh, realizing that all stories must come to the end. Yeah, on on the journey he goes through, because we're so mired in the the finding the MacGuffin, finding the next thing, um, hanging out with Jokey Monkey and Funny Beetle, uh, that we don't really see him come to a sort of realization until the end of the movie. And even then, it's just like him talking to his grandpa. Uh, yeah, I don't know if I can nail down if we can track that that growth though i'll have to i'll have to double check though so i wanted to i wanted to add one last thing and i know we're going a little bit long but i actually think that this is less of a they had so much setup and they didn't pay it off and it's more like there are two we're, we're boring two tunnels underneath the ocean and they didn't meet because to me I think that the strongest part of this movie is like the very, very beginning and the very, very end. And they are barreling towards each other and just miss each other. They like, they don't connect whatsoever. And I think that's what gets what you were talking about with your, with the orthogonal, like the, the family journey and the moral space that that's like, that's the two things that have not intersected at all. Like they had this really, really interesting moral that they had at the beginning and they had this really cool setup and world and stuff, and they tried to mash it from one side to the other, and they just missed. If you have one train leaving an eastern station running <laughs> at 30 miles an hour, and you have another train leaving from the western station. If you have one parental figure leaving from <laughs> oh, the God. mountain, and another parental figure living as a beetle, <laughs> how long does it take for you to lose both your parents for no narrative reason whatsoever? <laughs> Well, the sister's a narrative reason, but... Yeah, well. Didn't fit into the, the bit, as I was telling <laughs> That's it. That's true. Bad math problem. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Michael. That I do think the the scenes that are the most strongest are at the beginning and at the end. Yeah, it's just the family road trip just didn't seem... Yeah, it didn't seem like a good connector for all those. At least it it could have been, like we, we keep saying, it could have been if they didn't... Uh, put a little bit more uh, characterization, especially, and growth into those scenes. But as it stands right now, it's it's wanting for something. Uh, yeah, I think your your discussion on the how the aesthetic carried this whole film, Marcus, it's pretty apt. I think they put a lot of effort into that and didn't really uh, think about the meat underneath it. Of all the words of voice and pen, the saddest are these. It might have been. Nerd. It's a po- <laughs> We're getting poetic. we got to have a poetry corner now. Yeah. It, oh, yeah, God. The, the poetry has to rhyme, though. Yeah, you know, I knew you were going to say it. Better <laughs> <laughs> mention the poetry. Uh, we're poetry purists. I'm going... Here. I'm going... I'm going to fucking commit Johnson. <laughs> All right. And on that note, I believe we'll end it here. So that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. 
This week's uh, YouTube video you can watch online is, of course, a stop-motion animated video. It's called Lost and Found, uh, and it's by Short of the Week. So go check that out. Uh, And next week, we will be watching Ghost in the Shell, the anime movie. Uh, So very excited to talk about that one. Uh, But once again, thank you so much for listening, and you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone.